0: to cover here on KPFA, KPFB in Berkeley, KFCF at Fresno at 88.1 FM and all the time at kpfa.org. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye.
1: Happy ending Nice and tidy It's a rule I learned in school Get your money Friday Happy Endings Are the rule. So divide Up Those in Darkness From the Ones who Walk in Light Light them Up boys There's your Picture Drop
0: the shadow. This is Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw today is the 1st of October, 2013. Happy birthday, Jimmy Carter. Jimmy Carter, President Carter, is 89 years young today. I wonder what he would think about all this chaos in Washington. Uh, I want to quote you just one funny quote from Charles Dickens in the, back in the 19th century when he visited our Senate, yes. He visited the U.S. Senate, and he had hoped for great things, you know. Um, He said he wanted the the America of his imagination, but (laughs) he says some really awful things and ends by saying, the intrusion of the most pitiful, mean, malicious, creeping, crawling, sneaking party spirit into all transactions of life. (laughs) Nothing has changed, folks. Deja vu all over again. I think that's hilarious. Uh, I wonder what he would think today in any case. Uh, Today I had a plot to review plays that are now on television. I wanted to give a Shakespearean slant on politics. Right, you know. Uh, I'm going to save it for next Tuesday. The two plays... uh, are about the 15th century in England. They pretty much echo what's going on in Washington. One is the Hollow Crown. It's a series that's airing right now on PBS, Public Television. You know that's local channel nine on Friday nights. They're doing four of Shakespeare's history plays, beginning with Richard the Second. You remember, you remember poor tragic Richard the uh, Second. For God's sake. That'll sit upon the ground and tell sad stories of the death of kings. Always knocked me out. Anyway, we're going to do all that next Tuesday. Uh, the uh, uh, the other play, yes, the other play is The White Queen. Now, that's a modern play in prose. Um, and I, I think, well, maybe I can... Review that one on the following Tuesday. But I think, yes, I think we can put them together. It's very confusing, the old and the new. Uh, But the White Queen is a modern play with a totally revisionist view of medieval English royalty, you know. Apparently Richard III was not a bad guy. Somebody just dug up his remains uh, under a parking lot in England. (laughs) Never mind. Uh, What I really need to do today... Is raise some funds for KPFA. And uh, let's see. I have with me Laura Privis, who has brought in a super premium. A super premium. Uh, I think. I think we'll be here for the whole hour. What's happening to the news? Are we going to hear the news at 3.30?
1: I'm afraid we're not going to hear the news today. Okay. We are going to need to just no spend news. time yeah. no raising news some money okay. for
0: Internet so Radio. It's an hour of us and mostly of Laura. What we've got is a tape with the author of this book. Uh, she's going to be telling us all about the goddesses in Hindu mythology and folklore Tell. and how these myths relate to our lives today. Just just like politics, yes. Spiritual politics. Anyway, uh, the author, Sally Kempton, is reading excerpts from uh, the books Awakening Shakti and uh, then there's a, a CD with it too. Okay, Laura, what's... what's uh, What's you know, happening?
1: Yeah, Sally Kempton is. Uh, she's been studying and teaching meditation and philosophy for like 45 years. Um, and she writes a popular column in Yoga Journal. And back in the 70s, she was a meditation teacher or this is before she was a meditation teacher she was a, a journalist she wrote for Esquire the New Yorker and the Village Voice so we're as a part of our uh, fun drive this our fall fun drive here at KPFA we're going to be featuring some excerpts from this four CD set it's called Shakti Meditations Guided Practices to Invoke the Goddess of Yoga and there's also a book that goes along with it and we're going to play a little bit of that, and then we're going to come back and um, ask for your support. Uh, you can call us. So I'll just give out the number before we do that. 1-800-439-5732. That's the number to call to to get these. These are just... Gifts to entice you to support your independent radio station. You can get the book by Sally Kempton for $100 or the four CD set for $150 and both for 225 So right now, we will just go ahead and listen to just a little excerpt from Sally Kempton, Shakti Meditations.
2: Welcome to the world of Shakti, the world of the divine feminine and her sacred powers, In this program, we'll be meditating with some of the goddesses of the Hindu pantheon, goddesses who exist as energies in the world, as energies in culture, and as powers within your body and mind who can both transform and enliven your inner world in countless ways. These goddesses can be seen in bodies of light in meditation. They can be invoked through mantras and they also can be felt they have we could say feeling bodies kinesthetic bodies that we experience as subtle energy moving inside us and they also appear as insights recognitions inner clearings and deep states of wisdom and power and above all love I've lived with the goddess energies for about 40 years both in meditation and in specific context, specific meetings, as it were, with forms of the goddesses and also many, many formless experiences of their energies. But I trace my relationship with the goddess to one October night in rural India during a festival called Navaratri, Navaratri celebrates the divine feminine as the warrior Durga, the slayer of demonic forces in the ego and in the world. And like so many festivals in India, Navaratri is a big party, and it's also an occasion for mystical communion with the divine. Women put on their most gorgeous clothes, temples overflow, nights are filled with dancing and storytelling, and people have heightened visionary experiences often of the goddess's energy during this festival and that night several hundred of us had gathered amidst a blaze of candles next to a huge statue of the goddess Durga 18 feet high dressed in a red sari sitting on top of a white tiger arms bristling with weapons I was supposed to tell one of my favorite mythological stories, the story of the romance of the goddess Sati with her consort Shiva, and as I got up to tell the story, I was seized with a feeling that was so big that it actually overwhelmed me, and for a moment I couldn't speak. Very often when the goddess shows up for you, when the divine feminine shows up for you, she will often show up as ecstasy, as a kind of overflowing joy. And sometimes it brings tears to your eyes, which is what happened to me. It wasn't the story that did it, but I want to tell you the story anyway. And it goes like this. Back in the early days, at the very dawn of time, the great goddess who creates the world and then lives as the world agrees to incarnate as Sati, Sati's name means she who is she's the goddess of pure being and she incarnates in order to make the sacred marriage with her eternal consort Shiva who represents the ground energy of this world without her presence Shiva can't act in the world and in this time before time he's been sitting on a mountain lost in meditation refusing to perform his cosmic functions And because Shiva is necessary to the functioning of the world, this creates havoc in the cosmos. So finally, his brother deities, Brahma the creator and Vishnu the sustainer, realize that the only being in the world who can bring him out of meditation is the goddess. So they approach her in the mountain fastness where she lives, and they beg her for the sake of the world to take the form of a woman, and allure Shiva out of his yogic trance. Daksha, a minor elemental deity, has agreed to be her father. So the goddess laughs, silvery peals of laughter, and she says, Of course, I'll incarnate. Of course, I'll be Shiva's consort. She says, But there's one condition. If I agree to become your daughter, she tells Daksha, you must promise to honor me as the great goddess. If you don't, if for one moment you fail to remember who I am, I'll instantly leave my body, for I'll know that the time is not yet right for me to act fully in the world. Daksha, of course, agrees, and Sati is born in his household. And at the age of 16, she marries Shiva, drawing him out of his meditation through the allure of her irresistible beauty and her power to create bliss. Now, Shiva is the outsider god of the Hindu pantheon. He's the original yogi, the guru of yogic wisdom. And he's also the original shaman, a hunter gatherer deity who resides in the deep forests and mountains. So, for eons, Shiva and Sati make passionate, erotic love under trees and beside streams, in subtle realms beyond the clouds, in secret mountain caves. They adore each other with cosmic passion. And then the trouble starts. A few thousand millennia have passed. Daksha has worked his way into a position of power as the leading deity of conventional religion... And in the process, he's not only forgotten his promise to the goddess, forgotten his daughter's real nature, he's begun to disapprove deeply of Shiva's rebel status, feeling personally threatened by his obvious disdain for convention. So Daksha plans a huge cosmic fire ritual, which will establish for all times the religious structures of the universe. He invites every god, every titan, every celestial musician, snake deity, and nymph in the universe. But in a fit of malice, Daksha deliberately sends no invitation to his daughter or her consort. When Sati hears the news, she's stunned beyond measure. Not only has Daksha grievously insulted her beloved, he has dishonored the world mother, the power of life itself, without whom religion is meaningless. Sati knows she cannot remain in a world which doesn't recognize her. So she sits in meditation, summons her inner yogic fire, sends her life force into the ether, leaving her body crumpled on the ground. When Shiva finds her, he goes mad. He takes himself to the ritual ground and completely destroys the sacrifice. He then takes Sati's body in his arms and he begins to careen through the world's Wherever he carries her body, earthquakes and volcanoes, tidal waves and forest fires erupt. And at last, the gods do the only thing they can think of to save the universe. They send Saturn, the great wanderer, to cut Sati's body into pieces. And as the parts of her body fall to earth, they become physical pockets of sacred energy, natural earth shrines. So, in hidden caves and beside trees, near bodies of water and at the heart of villages, human beings have found the goddess enshrined in the soil and rock itself. Her body is the sacrifice that infuses the divine feminine into the world. This story, as I've told it, comes from the Shakta tradition, the branch of Hinduism that worships the goddess as the ultimate reality. In the more traditional version, Shiva is the main figure in the story, and Sati is depicted as a submissive wife who leaps into the sacrificial fire because her husband has been insulted. This version, the Shakta version, reveals a far more interesting take on the story. As the great goddess, Sati has the power to choose life or to depart it. She doesn't leave her body because her husband is insulted, she leaves. Because like the conventional world he represents, Daksha has failed to recognize, to honor, the power and independence of the divine feminine. She leaves because she knows that if the dignity of the feminine is not recognized, then the true union of the masculine and feminine isn't possible. And yet, because the goddess understands deep time, she also knows that her death isn't really an ending. Because one day the time will be right for her to incarnate and once again marry her consort. And this time, the world will be ready for her. And of course, we're living in that time. For more and more of us, women and men, find that the divine feminine is revealing herself in our lives. And as she reveals herself, she shows us something about the kind of love that the feminine embodies... It's a love that cares nothing for safety or convention. It's a love that's a quality of the universe itself, which is willing to destroy its own life forms, knowing that sometimes the birth of a new age demands a death, and that the personal self sometimes has to die if the world is to be made sacred. And when the divine feminine comes to arise inside our lives, she arises... As the pulsing, love-saturated, subtly sensual, luminous energy that brings together earth and spirit, that allows us to experience ourselves, not only as bodies, not only as minds, but also as the earth itself. Because the goddess's true gift is the power to recognize the divine in every single atom of this world. I like to think of goddess practice as a form of sacred feminism, a kind of feminism of the soul. One of the questions that sacred feminine tries to answer is this, what is true feminine power? What is true feminine power? And in answering the question, we go beyond gender and we discover that the life force of the universe is the feminine face of spirit. So to be a sacred feminist is to be a lover of the feminine face of God as she appears in the world and also in our own psyche and soul, while also recognizing that the feminine can never be separated from her masculine other half. And it's also to recognize that the feminine face of spirit ...acts creatively and destructively with equal facility. The sacred feminine is the power of nurturing. And she's also the power that destroys outworn forms. So, sacred feminine wants to embrace everything that is beautiful... ...and everything that frightens us. And to recognize also that all of this is a part of the sacred art of living... Many contemporary writers and thinkers have pointed out to us, and continue to point out to us, that our survival as a species may depend on our ability to re-engage with the feminine. In fact, in the early years of the 20th century, the great evolutionary mystic Sri Aurobindo said, if there is to be a future, it will wear a crown of feminine design. And it's very interesting that even though we live in a time when women are engaged in the world as never before in known history, paradoxically, so many of us, both women and men, are profoundly cut off from the feminine. One reason for this, of course, is the fact that many of us live in towns and cities, out of contact with the rhythm of the natural world. We're often mothered by women who weren't fully mothered themselves. And we grow up in a culture where ...girls are treated as objects of sexual desire... ...long before they have any true sense of self... ...and where the secret language of the feminine has been commodified, as it were... ...into the language of nail polish and fashion and conversations about beauty. Now, of course, the goddess loves nail polish and conversations about beauty... ...because the goddess is beauty itself. But, of course, she's also wisdom and raw power... ...and the capacity to hold sorrow... ...and this is often where we've lost touch with her. So to change all this requires a deep turning of the heart... ...a shift of consciousness that has to come from our connection to the source of life... ...and the sacred technologies of the goddess-loving culture of Tantra... ...are one of the ways we can activate the sacred feminine archetypes within ourselves and also bring them alive even more deeply in the world.
1: And that's the voice of Sally Kempton. She has put out this really wonderful CD set, Shakti Meditations. It's uh, practices to invoke the goddesses of yoga. She also has a book uh, uh that's... It's got a similar name, Awakening Shakti, as the transformative power of the goddesses of yoga. It's all Hindu mythology and feminism put together. And this is what we're offering right now in this uh, special fundraising hour. You can get the four-CD set for supporting KPFA with a $150 donation. You can get the book for $100 and you can get both of those together for $225 all that by uh, calling our number right now 1-800-439-5732 or 510-848-5732 these are gifts that we're offering to you but the real gift of course is kpfa and keeping us independent here and i am here today this is jennifer stone's normal slot for stone's throw and we're kind of preempting her a little bit though she's still here to help us pitch and um yeah this yeah.
0: is uh, yeah this book is for serious scholars as well as uh, well it's all about you know the future being feminist we all know that's what's going to happen i I think exactly. it would it would go on your shelf alongside of Maria Gambutis' books, The Language of the Goddess and Civilization of the Goddess, and the books of Barbara Walker, the woman who wrote the Encyclopedia of Women's Myths and Secrets. That's my absolute reference dictionary. And then uh, the Crone Woman of Age, Wisdom and Power, that's the one that insists that if we're going to talk about gods, they better be feminine. <laughs> anyway, no, I, I'm the sort of person who still goes to parties dressed as Kali. I go to the party and I dress up and have a, a tantrum yoga, I call it tantrum <laughs> yoga.
1: We actually do have a Kali story that's mm-hmm. coming up in some
0: of our experts. Are... Good. No, tell us, uh, tell us more. Let's see the book. subscription gets you uh, the book, $150 subscription gets you the meditation. Has that got any music on it?
1: Uh, Not really music. It does have, I mean, she's a great storyteller. I know she just really draws you in with these stories. Um, So it's the stories. There's some kind of, uh, you know, like explanation of the stories. And then she also has some meditation exercises where you can kind of said and she talks about the goddess and visualize, visualizing these various different goddesses so there's, there's a, a lot here it's actually really useful it's very interesting so different these Hindu goddesses than the western pantheon
0: I'm thinking of also thinking, what is it, The Myths of Avalon is also on my shelf. Uh, Marion Zimmer Bradley, that's the one for those of us who are really hooked on the mythology of the ancient Celts, but never mind, let's stick with um, this this book. Uh, I think, actually, I haven't really had enough chance to digest it it's about the transformative power of the goddesses of yoga by Sally Kempton I, I don't know how long it's been out when did it's it actually, when it's it?
1: actually re- brand new she's she's um writes a column in yoga journal several times I've it's called uh, wisdom I've, you know kind of perused <laughs> through that magazine and ended up reading her articles without even realizing that it's her and every time I see like Oh, this is really insightful. And then I look at the author, and it's Sally Kempton. She's been a long-time yoga, re, yoga teacher, meditation teacher, Buddhist meditation teacher. Um, she lives Cutting in the,
0: edge, right. The book the came Central out Coast. this year, folks, this year. No wonder. I haven't had a chance to really digest it. Awakening Shakti. In other words, let's come to the party, folks. Let's get rid of the old BS and do the new thing. Uh, sacred feminism. Uh, I always think of, well, my own feminism I think of as quite primal rather than political. You know, it comes from the gut, but. Okay. Now let's see. The, uh, the number is 1-800-HEY-K-P-F-A. That's one 800 439 You can also donate online at www.kpfa.org. Our total so far, I guess, 7,000 and... Oh, our goal here is 1,500. Okay, people. Oh, we're going to have to get some callers quick before, uh, uh, let's see.
1: Well, it did like, we did get a couple of callers there. So I think for, for the moment, let's go back to another excerpt from Sally okay. Kempton. You can keep calling. Uh, there's the book, uh, for a hundred dollar pledge to KPFA right now. The, uh, four CD set, Shakti Meditations for $150 that you can get by calling one 800 439 5732. Let's go back to Sally Kempton.
0: Here's some more.
2: When you need the strength to break through obstacles, when there's something you have to do that demands the fiercest form of compassion, Durga is the goddess to call in for help. She's the fierce warrior mother, the form of the goddess who stands up for justice and inner freedom. When you meditate on Durga, she fills you with the power to speak truth. Durga's sword creates a force field around us that can protect us both from external danger and from the subtle difficulties of the mind. And she's both a warrior and a mother. She's queenly, filled with regal radiance, and yet she's a martial artist to her core. She's fierce and implacable. But she's also the source of deep ecstasy. It's Durga who saves the world when nobody else can do it. And she is the goddess who comes to you when nothing else can help. All the goddesses in the pantheon are her daughters. And yet, she's ever young. For a contemporary woman, she personifies liberation and strength it's her energy that empowers the lawyer fighting for justice she acts within the soldier she speaks through an executive running a corporation she's the mother defending her children and when you bring Durga into your inner world she can give you the strength to achieve your most radical aspirations and she can guide you as you make hard choices here's a story about Durga's power It's a story about her encounters with two demon brothers named Shumba and Nishumba who were fighters for the dark side. In Indian mythology, the battle between the light forces and the dark side is personified as the eternal struggle between two races of elemental beings. The forces of light are known as the Devas. Deva means shining one. And they're sometimes called the power gods. Their ancient enemies are the Asuras, the anti-gods, And both of these races wear bodies of light and thought. They use weapons powered by the force of secret mantras. They live in pleasure realms with jeweled streets. They're beautiful. And the difference between the devas and the asuras is simply the difference in their motivation. The devas are servants of the divine. And in human beings, they represent our higher self, the qualities of love, of fearlessness, of compassion, of discernment. All these are the qualities of your devic energy. Whereas the asuras are the qualities of egoic greed, of anger run out of control, of accumulation and conquest. And of course, we recognize the asuric energies because they're very prevalent in the modern world. They show up in our contemporary culture as kleptocratic dictators, corrupt corporate actors, terrorists, financial manipulators. But just as we carry